All right, and welcome to another episode of Pokemon, or excuse me, Perspective in Pokemon. I don't even know the name of my own show. But I have with me Pokenav. Very excited to have him on the show. Just found out his name is Shad, which, as a quick side note, it's one of the funny things about uh, the hobby and the community is meeting people and you know him as a certain name. Like we had Omash on the show last week. I just always call him Omash, even though he lives like 20 minutes from me. Like I just always call him by like Pokenav or Omash. I forget what people's actual names are. <laughs> well, I think a lot of the time, you know, as a content creator, you you know, you you get used to just be ca- being called your your creation name, right? So, uh, you know, when I started the channel and and came up with the name Pokenav and people just started naturally calling me Nav and it just kind of stuck and nobody ever asked me what my real name was and so I just never I never said it and then finally, I think probably seven or eight months into the channel somebody was finally like hey uh by the way what's your real name i was like oh yeah it's it's shad yeah i guess that's <laughs> it. you guys get to know me a little bit better all right well that's part of why you're on the show man let's get to, get to know you a little better so along those that those lines though do you mind giving a brief intro like who you are for those who don't know who like who you are and what you do yeah yeah um so concerning like YouTube. So I started my channel back in May of 2020 and uh, was really serendipitous time because that was right about the time that Pokemon was really starting to take off. It was also about the time that people were staying at home um, due to COVID and uh, decided to start a Pokemon channel. I had been in Pokemon since early 2016. At the time, I was a uh, practicing financial advisor. And uh, a colleague of mine, a fellow financial advisor, was actually really into sports cards. And uh, I hadn't, I hadn't been in Pokemon or really explored Pokemon in quite some time. I had taken a long hiatus, so it probably was around 2002, 2003 that I had gotten out of it. And uh, like I said, my, co- my the colleague that I worked with was really into sports cards and I was looking through some of his uh, collection and also some of the values that his cards were going for um, online. I said, you know what? I've never really been into sports cards, but I have a Pokemon card collection. I wonder what those are doing right now. And uh, for those who weren't around during that time, the market was so vastly different than what it is now. And uh, I just started exploring online, started looking on places like eBay and started to come across sealed products, sealed booster boxes, Base Set Unlimited, Jungle Fossil, Team Rocket, and uh, started to think to myself that sort of analytical financial mind started to think, well, you know what, the supply of these, there can't be a whole lot of these out there. And so I started to look at it as almost an asset class. And um, from then from then on, started to um, reach out to other people in the hobby. At that time, it was pretty close knit. It was pretty, uh, pretty small. So connected with guys like Gem Mint Pokemon, TCA Gaming. Um, didn't even know about uh, creators like Leonhard or Real Breaking Nate. I was really just at that time uh, interested to learn about all of the different facets that we now know that are you know common language now about PSA and grading and all of these things. And uh, over the course of time, just started to build more knowledge and more experience in the hobby. And uh, and then in early 2020, decided that I would go ahead and share that in the capacity of starting a YouTube channel. And uh, was a little worried because the only other experience that I had had uh, with with PokeTubers, we'll call them, uh, was with you know TCA Gaming and Gem Mint and 
And although they were talking about the values they were mainly showing off collections, and I felt that my sort of niche was more along the lines of the financial aspect of really relating Pokemon to the financial markets and uh, really looking at them as an asset class and how you could essentially build a portfolio around Pokemon cards and smart and financially prudent ways uh, to approach the hobby. But I thought, man, nobody's going to want to, nobody's going to want to listen to this. Everybody's going to go to sleep. And, uh, but I said, you know what, I'll, I'll start the channel. I'll give it a try and, uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. And, uh, lo and behold, there was certainly a taste for it. There was, there was a demand for this sort of financial side of Pokemon and, and learning about the valuation of cards and understanding what made a quote unquote good investment or a bad investment. And, uh, here we here we stand today, almost uh, a year and a half later. That's awesome. It's funny that you say that it was essentially sports cards that got you thinking about Pokemon cards. Uh, because it's funny because that's kind of how I got back into the hobby as well. Was I heard people talking about in 2019, you know, sports cards. You're looking at sports cards, and so I started, you know, getting to some some cards. Some some I haven't followed the NBA in a while. Mm -hmm. But I started, you know, getting into some of the rookies that I knew about, like in the early 2000s. And then I had the same thoughts, like, well, I wonder what Pokemon art is doing. Mm -hmm. And then like looking, and this was 2019, so different than 2016, but still much different than 2020 and 2021. And still even seeing a card that I grew up with that was selling for 50 bucks. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get back into the, like, the hobby. <laughs> yep. And yeah, so, it, it's it's crazy to see how, how it's changed um, over the years, you know, from 20... 16 um I, I really consider 2016 as the the big turning point for pokemon because that was the year that pokemon go came out that was the release of the uh the 20 the 20th anniversary of pokemon and uh, evolutions generations all of those and it was really the renaissance that i think got a lot of people back into the hobby but it, it after what we witnessed over 2020 it, you know 2016 really pales in comparison it, it was just it was really just the 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 first step in in the overall hype and notoriety that the the hobby would would later garner for sure and i guess along those lines because 2020 2021 so many different almost like a, a roller coaster of emotions of different thoughts around the hobby Having a, a channel that involves, you know, Pokemon investing, I'm curious, what has been the response of some people, like, when, when you put out content that involves Pokemon and money? Mm -hmm. So I think there's, and I think this is more speaking to the current social paradigms that we have where it, it's always got to be viewed as black or white right? It's, there's, there's always a schism, or at least in the last five years, I would say there's always a schism between everything. Everybody has to choose a team. So I would say overall, uh, most people are very receptive of it. And, and the, the thing that I've told a lot of people or that I've, um, that I I've said is that we've always had financial and, and, and values attached to Pokemon cards. We can go all the way back to the playground days and we had Beckett price guides. We had things that 
allowed us to understand what cards stood out above the rest based upon their value, based upon the demand that they had. And with that added demand comes an increase in value. So I think that numbers, uh, quantitative measures have always been attached to Pokemon. It's always been attached to uh, trading cards uh, more broadly, and, and especially when you include that into kind of the multiverse of collectibles, there's always a financial value attached to them uh, because it gives people another data point of understanding, you know, this this is valuable maybe for a sentimental reason. This is value for uh, scarcity. This is valuable because of the, the overall demand that that particular item has. So, the vast majority of people, as I said, have been very receptive of it. I also approach it in a, I think, in a different fashion than other people where I I have the experience in a lot of other markets. So as I said, I used to be a financial advisor. My background is in finance. I also have experience in other markets uh, as well beyond just collectibles and the stock market, real estate, all these different things. So I, I have a pretty good grasp on how markets operate um, based upon those years of experience. And so what I try to do is I try to help people to, you know, no pun intended, navigate this, which is a very vast hobby. Um, un, you know, unlike other collectibles out there, Pokemon is extremely vast. And especially when you get into Japanese cards and you, you start getting into more esoteric type of products, it's it's quite vast and it can be overwhelming. And so being able to take some of that experience, both from the uh, experiential knowledge that I've had in Pokemon, and then also relating that to other financial markets to kind of help people understand where the market currently stands, where it's headed, it, it helps them to distill that down into a much more um, understandable um, collectible, much more understandable way of, of going about it rather than just throwing money around. Um, and because there, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of others out there that where it's just like, Hey, this is the newest thing. It's a great investment, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, because it's popular and that's not always, always the case. And then on the other side of that, you know, when I say that there's a schism, there's people who are, you know, die hard. They say that Pokemon should only be enjoyed as a collectible. There shouldn't be a financial value attached to it, that attaching financial values to it um, only exacerbates things like scalping and scams and all of these different things. And I think that that's going to exist no matter what, no matter if you attach a financial value to it or not, there's always going to be nefarious people out there. They're going to try to take advantage of others, especially if it's something that is um, at one point in time, very popular. And uh, I think to kind of bring it all in this particular question, I think we all are a little bit of everything, right? I think we're all investors. I think we're all collectors. I think we're all players. So we, we all enjoy this hobby, but at some point in time, we've all dabbled in one area or the other. So for me, a lot of the time when I invest or when I flip Pokemon cards and or products, a portion of that I set aside so that I can garner things for my collection, right? And I think that it's very much a symbiotic relationship between investors and collectors because investors 
very often are able to help collectors bring things to light. So if a collector is looking for a particular item, uh, an investor typically has the means, uh, either financial and or the social contacts in order to garner that product, almost acting in a broker dealer capacity to find that item for that collector. And the collector, on the other hand, can help the investor by by giving them more insight into the depth of the hobby so that they can find things that may be undervalued, that are overlooked, all of these different things. So I, to me, I really don't see as much of a schism in there. And I try to approach my channel and my sort of philosophy around it in that capacity. And that essentially we all have these different characteristics sort of embedded within us. And uh, I think that it takes all of those different um all of those different characters in the hobby, the players, the collectors, the investors for it to really operate efficiently. Awesome. And I do need to say, you know, we don't talk a lot about, uh, at least we don't get too much into investing on this channel, but mm -hmm. one of the reasons I wanted you on is because, and you know, this is no hate towards anyone else, but one thing that I have noticed and I'm noticing even just as, as we talk right now is, I think you you approach the investing side with a lot more thoughtfulness, and um, you know, as you said, not 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 like a lot of hype of like, oh yeah, this is brand new, this is popular, invest in this, and uh, yeah, because I just even just the answer you gave, I, I I appreciate the way you you phrased everything. Well, you know, and and I think it, it, the the reason that I do that is that I've made those mistakes before. Um, in, in my experience, I've fallen into that trap of buying something out of the out of um, an irrational exuberance, right? Um, when the hype was really high of, of buying something and not really listening to my own intuition and not listening to my more rational side of, okay, this is this is really popular, but is this really sustainable? Uh, a prime example, I think right now is celebrations, right? Mm -hmm. I caught a lot of hate for not being too high on celebrations. And the reason being, in my opinion, celebrations was kind of a cut and paste type of set where when I initially started to see a lot of the promo cards that were coming out, I was really excited because I thought they were bringing back these older mechanics, these things that brought us a lot of nostalgia, but they were bringing them back in a new rendition Right, so we had Delta Species Mimikyu, Light Toxtricity. These are new Pokemon that we were using old mechanics for, old types of cards. Um, and so I was really excited about that, and I thought that was the direction of the set as a whole. And then when I started to see the main set and the classic collection roll out, and those god awful stamps that they put on them in in the worst locations and so many of them i just thought to myself there was so much that was left on the table um especially considering this was the 25th anniversary celebratory set this was celebrating 25 years and it was a small set very small set i really thought that pokemon could have gone all out on it um and i think in my personal opinion, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, it's not going to stack up as well as something like Generations has or even Evolutions has because I feel like there was a lot more that went into those sets. I think that Celebrations will always have a certain level of 
attachment to it, right? Because it came out during perhaps the biggest uh, boom in Pokemon that there's ever been outside of maybe 1999. So I think there will always be that. But when you start to look back and you start to see that, well, you know what? These cards have existed so many times. They were in Evolutions and then they were in, uh, you know, Base Set, Base Set 2, uh, Legendary Collection, these same artworks that have just been kind of repeated over and over again. Um, I think that it will probably lose a lot of its luster. And at least from what we've seen in the short term, that's what's happened. The the singles prices have have just crashed. The uh, prices on sealed products have just crashed, and uh, and that's during a time of scarcity too. That's during during a time of low supply. So you can imagine that if that trend continues and the increase in supply happens, there's more supply than perhaps can even meet demand. You would expect that those prices will come down um, even further. So I think that's just an example of irrational exuberance on the part of a lot of, of people rather than being able to look at it from an objective and a rational standpoint. And that's the, that's the difference. That's the difference between looking at something as, as a collectible and looking at something as an investment. And I think that there's a lot of people out there that do not differentiate the two. They often, you know, they include them all under the same category. And un unfortunately, they're just not. Hmm. So that leads me to another question. So, and I'm, it's very helpful that you do have that background as well in finance and in other areas. So what, what, do you, what would you say is a common mistake that people are, you see people making when they get into investing? So in general, you know, just looking at it broadly, one of the common mistakes that I see from investing, and, and this can go all the way back to when I was sitting down with clients, is that they really didn't have well, two things. They didn't have a blueprint for themselves. They really didn't know where they wanted to be in five years, 10 years, 30 years. And they really didn't understand, you know, what it would really take to get there and what kind of plan that they needed to put in place. And well, that's why they would come to me. Um, but very often their ideas or their philosophies to get there contradict with each other. They want growth and they want value. They want, uh, they want to be conservative, but they want to make a lot of money, right? So there, there's a lot of contradiction there. They're contra indicative. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the first thing here is sitting down, understanding what your blueprint is. So in this type of industry, in something where there's the, there's the collectible, there's also the investment value, it's understanding, okay, what do I really want for my collection? What do I want to do with my investments? And, and putting the two into a separate category and having a plan for those. So saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to invest in these so that I can create capital that I can then use for my collection. Or I'm okay with letting go of some of these things that are in my collection so that I can create funds to maybe invest in items that are higher priced that may have more growth over the long term. So having that plan in place from the get-go, I think is really important. And then the next big thing is understanding your risk tolerance, right? How much risk are you willing to take on for the added value? I did a video here 
quite a few months ago talking about the risk tolerance spectrum, going all the way from conservative to uh, aggressive or very aggressive and, and everything that existed in between. And this is, this is a common conversation that if anybody out there that's listening, this is financial advisor or a CPA or anyone like that. This is a common conversation that you have with clients is you have to understand how much risk they're willing to take for the added reward. And you go along that spectrum and then you develop a portfolio based upon that level of risk tolerance. So if you're a very conservative type of person, let's say that, you know, it's a 65 year old couple and they're getting ready to retire. Well, guess what? You're going to construct the majority of their portfolio into very conservative investments, probably investment grade bonds um, or, uh, you know, government backed securities because you want to basically sustain what they've built to that point. You don't want to put them in a, you know, a value stock or, or something that is highly speculative and they get to retirement and they lose all of their, their capital. They lose all of their money. Um, and it's the same thing in Pokemon. It's understanding, okay, how much am I really willing to put into this particular asset class? What level of risk am I willing to take? This is something that you saw at the tail end of 2020, where the prices on individual cards, uh, whether raw or graded, and even sealed products started to fall dramatically. And you you saw that, that selling off of the market. I mean, a, a really good example would probably be uh, base set unlimited Charizard, where it went from a high of around, gosh, I think it was hitting around five thousand um, dollars for. Uh, and speaking of PSA nine, PSA nine base set unlimited Charizard, hitting around like five thousand dollars, started to fall. People started to sell off, and and what you see is just that undercut, right? Everybody just mm -hmm. tries to undercut each other, and then before long, is sitting at about a thousand dollars, and that's that panic right? That's that panic that so many people go through um, when they see the market start to fall. And that tells me that they're not in a good place. One, financially, they don't have that reserve. They don't have that capital built up to be able to sue to sustain those downturns. Um, and two, they, they just didn't understand how much risk they were willing to take. And uh, so in that video, I, I kind of outlined it. In my personal opinion, if you were a conservative type of person, these are the things that I would recommend putting, you know, the majority of your your funds towards the, in products. Uh, a good example of a conservative type of investment, in my opinion, is uh, modern booster boxes and elite trainer boxes. Why do I say that? Because especially if you're picking that up. Um, close to wholesale um, or even under MSRP, it's highly unlikely that three years from now, five years from now, the price of those items are going to fall below that, right? It's it's pretty unlikely that we're going to see that. We've seen it in some items. We actually saw it at one time with Evolution's booster boxes, um, I believe Roaring Skies, Steam Siege, that we saw it fall under uh, wholesale value, so under like $80 a booster box, uh, which I actually think presents an opportunity in and of itself. Um, but it, you just don't really see that. So putting your money in something like that, not overspending, not paying over MSRP, I think is a conservative way to try to invest. You pick up a certain quantity of that, you hold it for three to five years or even longer, and you're probably going to have a decent return on your overall investment. On the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're looking at something that is very aggressive, um, I would say that's probably graded cards. Um, there are certain graded cards out there that would probably be like moderately aggressive things that are, um, 
you know, things that are in high demand, uh, things that are also very scarce, I think would not be as aggressive, but things that you're seeing a lot roll out onto the open market, things that have a really high populations, the fluctuations on those can be massive. And that's kind of what we saw with that uh, PSA 9 base 7 limited Charizard. So it's understanding where you fall in that spectrum and understanding, you know, if you're going to look at it like you would with a financial portfolio, you can really craft investing in Pokemon in a similar manner and you can really cultivate something that uh, aligns with your particular risk tolerance. Hmm. And so I guess, would you say that before someone starts investing, whether and I guess this this can go whether it's in Pokemon cards or the stock stock market or wherever. They need to understand. I guess maybe have some self awareness of you know what you know how, how much risk can they actually tolerate. Oh, definitely. I think that's that's one of the first things that you have to ask yourself is um, how much risk am I willing to take? How much? Like for me, when I first started out in in Pokemon and I started buying. Uh, you know, sealed booster boxes and things like that. I was never putting myself in a financial bind. This was all uh, funds that were that was essentially uh, just dis disposable income, right? So I was never digging in. I was never putting things on credit cards. I was never taking out loans. All of the things that you've heard that have occurred over this last 18 months, it was just disposable income. And I understood what I could allocate to these things. And I understood what was within my budget. And that's that's what I used. And that's what I encourage people to do out there. Don't put yourself into a pickle financially to, to try to get into this. Because all in all, even though I talk about being on a spectrum of conservative to aggressive, collectibles in general are highly speculative. And are high. there is a high risk probability of uh, of dabbling in this arena and of quote unquote investing in these things. Um, because there's no, there's no oversight. It's not like we have FINRA or the SEC that's over, you know, overseeing all of this stuff. Um, we don't have regulatory bodies. Uh, we don't have, um, you know, a, a market that is, that is regulated. So there, there can be a lot of nefarious activity and there can be a lot of manipulation. Um, and, uh, which there still can be in, in other markets as well. Um, but there's not really something overseeing that to make sure that that nefarious activity isn't going on. So it's understanding when you get into this, how much can I really allocate to it? How much do I want to allocate towards it? Because I'll, I'll tell you right now, folks, um, there's a lot of other investment vehicles out there that you can invest in that also have other uh, extraneous benefits beyond just growth and income and all of those other things. Um, you know, talking about things like uh, IRAs, 401ks, you also get tax write-offs for you know, investing in those type of things. So there's, there's other investment vehicles out there, uh, real estate, um, all kinds of different things that you can put your money towards. And, uh, what I've told a lot of people is if this is your first time, and, and this is unfortunately, I think what we've seen over the last 18 months is that people who are quote unquote investors in Pokemon, this is the first time that they've ever had any experience in investing. And so 
it's there there's a lot of naivety there's a lot of um just uh not having the the previous education and so what i encourage people to do is educate yourself first and foremost like make sure that like if you're if your job offers you your your 401k and you've got an ira and you're contributing to those and you you've you know maybe read some books or gotten some uh you know knowledge on the on other markets and just investing in general then maybe start dabbling in in pokemon um the one thing I will say is that the barrier to entry into Pokemon is obviously a lot less. And uh, I would rather you make a mistake on a $40 elite trainer box than on a $40,000 foreclosure, <laughs> you know? <Yes. laughs> so, it, you know, the, the, it can be a good starting point for people to um, to learn, you know, what it's like. You know, what what makes a good investment? What are the characteristics that set it apart? Um, and and then understanding what's the difference between investing and flipping, right? Because that those two often get melded together as well, and they and they're also very different. A flipper's mindset is obviously very different from an investor's mindset. And again, very often we have a little bit of both in us. I do flipping, I invest in things, I have businesses um, that I create cash flow from. Um, so I kind of, I like to have my my hands in, in all of these different areas because what that does is that helps to mitigate my risk within this industry, right? So if the investment side of it isn't very fruitful at that time, well, maybe the business side is. Products are churning, products are moving. Um, that helps me to create revenue, create cash flow. Um, and then the flipping side, maybe the vintage market isn't so good, but the modern market is. So it's just understanding all of the different dynamics that exist and how you can really uh, take advantage of, of all of them. Awesome. And I know we're about to run out of time, but if I can ask one last question, then we'll go into some quick rapid fire questions and wrap it mm -hmm. up. So you were you mentioned business real quick. I know you recently started, at least somewhat recently, uh, Poke Realm. Do you mind getting into just maybe just like a minute or two of why you started that and I guess what and what it is? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, Poke Realm. You guys can think of it. Um, I don't know where everybody's watching from, but you can consider Poke Realm like the Costco. Of trading card games. So essentially, the business model of Poke Realm is that by paying a monthly membership, you are able to get uh, trading cards and or accessories at cost, right? And the reason that we did this, the reason that we decided to create this business model is that, well, for one, it saves people a lot of money, especially if you're looking to buy in bulk, much in the same manner that you go to a place like Costco. The prices are going to be a lot cheaper, but you're going to be buying more of those particular items. So instead of going to your, uh, I don't know, your Walmart and bu buying a, a six pack of uh, toilet paper, you're going to buy a 40 pack of toilet paper but you're gonna be paying a lot less per item uh, for that bulk price. So we wanted to create it for that, for people that wanted to buy in larger quantities and wanted to do so at cost. The other big reason is that both myself and my business partner, we've been in this industry for a long time. We also understand a lot of the hurdles that exist in trying to get products at these prices. So for those of you that don't know, the only way to get wholesale price on 
Pokemon cards or any trading card game out there is to go through a distributor and or wholesaler. And in doing so, there's a lot of hurdles that exist. One, uh, you have to have a business license in order to do so. So you have to set up some kind of business entity. You know, that could be as simple as setting up a sole proprietorship, but more often than not, they're going to look for something like an LLC. The next thing is that the vast majority of trading card game uh, manufacturers will only sell to brick and mortar stores. So in order to get these products for games like Magic the Gathering, uh, you have to have an actual physical location. So the, you know, the, the amount of money that would go into getting a lease on a building, you know, just all of the overhead is, can be overwhelming. And on top of that, just the financial capital that it takes in order to do this. Because when you're working with a wholesaler, they expect you to be buying in huge quantities. And for the vast majority of startups out there, new stores, they're not going to have that financial capital in the beginning. They have to build up to that point. So what happens is that the distributors essentially strong arm you. They say, okay, you really want to get fusion strike. You really want to get celebrations. Well, guess what? We got, we need you to take, you know, $10,000 of this other product that they know is probably not going to move on your store shelves or on your, on, on, your uh, online store. And so there's a lot of hurdles that exist and understanding this and having dealt with this for years now, we said, you know what, what if we created a business where the average consumer or the new store owner could be able to get prices close to the, the prices that they would get from the wholesaler without having to go through all of this trouble. And that was essentially the birth of, of Poke Realm was being able to provide these prices uh, through a membership based program um, so that they could, they could take advantage of it. And uh, you know, it's, it's been great because we've been able to help a lot of startup stores. We've been able to help um, online resellers, uh, people who have started uh, online businesses out of their home, selling trading card games, uh, accessories. We're looking to move into uh, tabletop games as well, like Warhammer, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so it's really being able to provide um, these prices, these offerings, this sort of exclusive nature that was at one time um, relegated to just the distributors and wholesalers and being able to provide this to the average consumer. That's awesome. And I actually am part of that. So I appreciate that you've done that because I've been able to get some product that I otherwise would not have gotten during 2021. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, you know, we, <laughs> my business partner, Rocky and I, we, when we decided to do this, we said, you know what, we're probably starting this at the absolute worst time anybody <laughs> could ever start a business like this during, you know, COVID and supply shortages, labor shortages, all of those different things. Um, but we said, you know what, uh, good times, bad times, um, this is something that we believe in and we're going to be here for the for the long term this is something that because of the vast quantity of purchases that we've made during this time it pays dividends to you uh you know 10 times over when times are good so when you have that dedication to the distributors and you keep buying even during uh tough times they pay it forward to you when when times are good and products are are plentiful. So 
when we come out of this uh, on the other end, um, you know, Pokey Realm as a business and the members that are a part of that, you know, yourself included, which I want to, you know, thank you for that, for being an early adopter of us and, and believing in the mission. Um, we all get paid those dividends uh, later down the line. It's just sometimes, sometimes it takes weathering some of those, those tougher times to, to get to that point. For sure. Which as a quick side note, because you mentioned it's the worst time to probably start a business like that. Because there have been times when, you know, the product that I did want to get was not available. But having going back to, I guess, how almost how we start this conversation with having that mentality of like a longer perspective, a long, long term perspective is that, you know, the things that I would like to do in the future, I, I, I believe, first of all, I believe in you guys. I believe in what you guys are going to be able to do. And because of that, I do plan on staying so that for the things that I want to do later on, I think it's going to be very advantageous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the the thing is, is we we fully expect to pay it forward to those devout members, the people who have stuck with us all along, because this is something that, um, you know, we can't just we just can't we can't continue to keep it open indefinitely at some point there will be a cap on the amount of members that we can actually uh, be able to sustain um, because our goal is to have um, if they so choose every member to have a case of the newest product uh, to be able to buy a full case of the newest product for everything that is released. So if you imagine you get upwards of a thousand or 2000 members, that is a ton, a ton of product um, that you're moving. And uh, we understand how big we actually want to get. And we also want to be able to make sure that whatever that cap is, that we're always able to provide the the promises the the product to those members so there is a level of exclusivity there and um and we're we're working to that point and and things things have gotten better each set that has come out uh, for pokemon specifically has gotten better uh allocations have gotten less um and uh we're, we're starting to, to roll out more. So it's just, it's exciting. And uh, I know that it's, it's going to help a lot of people, especially during times like this, uh, tough economic times where uh, money and uh, finances can be tight to be able to still enjoy your favorite hobbies, um, you know, at a much discounted price, I think is, is just fantastic. And, uh, and I think that ultimately good times or bad times that will that will be what sustains uh pokey realm that's awesome and you know i think we might need to have you back on just to talk about business because you start talking about business i start thinking about other questions i love business and whatnot but <laughs> we we don't want to make this a, a two-hour long podcast <laughs> well no i appreciate it man I, I i love i love talking business i love talking and invest i just love talking pokemon too you know and, and i i feel so fortunate that I found a way to encompass all of those things together. You know, my my passion for being an entrepreneur, my passion for Pokemon, uh, my passion for just speaking to you know good people like yourself, um, and, and and having the opportunity to discuss these things. Uh, it just it doesn't get any better. I appreciate that. Okay, well, I'm going to take like two more minutes of your time, and we're going to just going go into some rapid fire. And I'll Let's let you do go. it. Let's do it. All right. Do you prefer reading books or listening to podcasts? 
Oh man, that is tough. Right now, I'm more into podcasts just because a lot of the time, uh, well, my time is very limited. So I usually read in the evenings. I usually have about two hours in the evening to myself that I'll read. Uh, but when I'm in the truck, uh, when I'm driving around, I'm usually listening to podcasts. And what's your favorite Pokemon? Oh, me too. You too, nice. all the way. Yeah, it's uh, that. That's one of talking about collection. My collecting goal is to get every single Mewtwo card. Um, PSA ten, preferably. Uh, I don't know how you know how well that's going to work out, but that that is the collection goal. Nice. I, actually, no, I won't say that. So I've, now I'm starting to think about all, all the other Mewtwo cards. I'm like, oh, what about this one and that one? But <laughs> yeah, it gets it gets expensive really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you had to choose, would you rather listen to country music or hip hop? Oh man, you give me the two worst genres out there. I hate both of them, honestly. Um, I would I would have to go with hip hop. Be, I, I take it back. Um, basically. 90s hip hop. I, I really, I, I like that. Um, there isn't a single era of country that I like though. I hate my, my <laughs> wife loves country, uh, but I forbid her to play it when we're in the, when we're in the truck together. So we, uh, we, we just stick to the commonality and we play 90s grunge because we both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so for personal consumption, do you prefer YouTube or TikTok? I've never, I've never gotten on TikTok. I've never found the uh, appeal of it. A lot of people have told me to get on TikTok because they think that it would be a great way to um, create more exposure and to uh, kind of get the Pokenab name out there further. But I, I'll be honest with you, man. Um, prior to starting my YouTube channel, I, people laugh at this all the time. I didn't even have a smartphone. I'm, th I'm 30 now. I'll be 31 next week. I did not have my first smartphone until I was 27, I had a, just a regular flip phone. Um, so I was not into social media whatsoever. I was not into uh, really tech at all. And uh, so when I started my YouTube channel, I was like, well, I guess I need to get an Instagram because that'll help you know promote it. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I just have never really been into the social media sphere. I think it, it can be beneficial. Um, but yeah, getting back to your initial question, I, I go off on tangents. I'm horrible about that going off on tangents. You're good. But uh, YouTube, YouTube definitely, because I've actually, um, I think YouTube can be a space where you can either mind numb yourself and you can watch cat videos all day, um, or it can be a space where you can learn a lot. Like there's a lot of really great informational videos on YouTube for so many different topics out there. And I use it all the time, all the time, whether it's Pokemon or just anything that I'm, I'm trying to learn, I'll refer to YouTube and, and at least try to get uh, a little bit of a foundational knowledge on something new. Awesome, man. 27. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, right? Crazy. I, I didn't even have a phone, you know, and this is the, this is like a cognitive dissonance to a lot of like younger kids that are maybe listening to this is that, you know, growing up, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 30. 30. So yeah, yeah, we're the same age. So when we were going through high school, uh, I don't know how it was for you, but like, it wasn't a big thing to, to have a, a cell phone, no, right? Nobody really. really cared. Like you got really poor pixelated pictures on it. Um, and the texting was T9. So you had to figure out, you know, T9 texting. So it really wasn't a big thing. And then I got to, when I went off to college, 
Um, I got this. In fact, my, my parents had an extra line that they weren't even using. And they were like, Hey son, you know, you're going off to Nebraska. I grew up in Arizona, which is where I live now. And they're going off to Nebraska. We'd like a way to be able to get a hold of you. So why don't we go ahead and, and <laughs> give you this line for a cell phone? So that's when I actually got a cell phone and, and yeah, it was 2027 when I got my, my first smartphone. And it was all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. As, as a quick side note, going back to high school, I, so I, I had my first cell phone in high school, paid for it myself, but I, I I didn't use it that much because I had to pay like it was like ten cents like per text, five cents oh, per yeah. minute. Oh yeah, yeah. Which it's so funny because I I don't even think teenagers when you tell that to, to them they don't believe you that that was a thing. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's no, there was no unlimited back then yeah. well there, there probably was but it was um, probably pricey or something it was probably yeah it was probably super expensive super expensive so yeah it was you know just something that you know we never thought about plus i grew up in a small town in northeastern arizona and uh you know if i needed to get a hold of my buddies you know you pick up the home phone and it was like they they lived like less than five minutes away so that was all good well so last question before that happy early birthday oh, thank you um but last question when all is said and done, how do you hope to be remembered? Either as a person or in the hobby, however you want to take that. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a, that is profound. Um, how do I want to be remembered? Um, I think above all else is I want to be remembered as somebody who lived an authentic life, right? Who lived by their own terms, who wasn't, um, you know, persuaded to live a life that was kind of built for them, right? And I think that's one of the pushes to being an entrepreneur is to kind of carve your own path. You um, are able to own your successes as well as your failures. And I like the thought of that. Um, I want to be a role model for my, my kids. I've got a three-year-old daughter and a four-month-year-old son. And uh, I want to be an example for them that, uh, you know, follow, it's cliche to say, but, you know, to follow your dreams, the path that you truly want for yourself. I think that for a lot of people, <clears throat> they relegate themselves to complacency, right? They, they, they don't really pursue the things that they, um, that they truly want to. And so I think if you're, if you're truly following your authentic self, and doing the things that you enjoy and following your, your moral compass. Um, when you get to the end of your life, I think that you won't have, um, any kind of regrets. And I, I think that that's something that we often, I know that for myself, that's something that I look for in my idols, I guess you could say. Um, and I think we, as, you know, we as human beings, we we appreciate that. We appreciate the risk takers. We appreciate the people that have carved their own path in life. And uh, I've always truly uh, appreciated that characteristic. And I so so I think that would that would probably be it. I think to to live the most authentic life that I can for me um, while I'm here. I love that. Well, Shad, Pokenat, thank you so much for being on. I know we went over, but man, this was a blast to have you on. Oh, it was a pleasure, man. It was a pleasure. I will, we'll definitely do it again whenever you're ready to have me back on again. I know that uh, you know you'll probably get on some some people that are are uh, 
a lot a lot better than old nav you know omash it's, it's tough following up with omash v that, that guy that guy is uh one of a kind i love omash Dude, it's I love tough omash. following up in those footsteps but hey man you ever want to have me on again just send me a message i'd be happy to come back on for sure oh and real quick for those of you who do not follow this man how can people get in touch with you where are you on social media what's your channel yeah so um you can find me on the um on the internet right we're talking about lack of love tech you can find me on youtube uh just type in poking nav uh p-o-k-e-n-a-v you find me there you can find me on instagram as well at official poking nav and then um other than that you can check out my personal website which is pokynavnation.com uh feel free to also check out pokey realm which is pokeyrealm.store. So P-O-K-E-R-E-A-L-M.store. Uh, if you're interested in becoming a member, if you're interested in uh, looking into wholesale products. And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, that's that's pretty much it. Oh, and if I also have my own podcast as well, the Pokemon Masterclass, which uh, I host that on the PokeNav YouTube channel. Uh, but you can also catch it on all of the other uh, podcasting platforms, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, all the, all the big ones. Awesome. And one day we just might get you on TikTok. <laughs> I don't know. I gotta, I think to get onto TikTok, I, I really am going to have to hone in on my dance skills. Cause it looks like that's a prerequisite. You gotta be a really <laughs> good dancer. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to practice my dance moves first, but if I can, if I can get that down, you may see Nav on TikTok. Sounds like, hey, I'm Latina. We'll, I'll give you some dance lessons. There you go. A little, little salsa, a little mamba. I, I got it, man. <laughs>